Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I love, one of the things I love about our church is sometimes I stand down front here and I actually don't sing. I just get bathed by the songs behind me, by your voices and your, your worship. And I tell you, it overwhelms me at times just to be uh, in the presence of God with you and worshiping the Lord is awesome. I also love Christmas. How many of you know I love Christmas? I'm a, if you've been around here, you know I'm a Christmas fanatic. I uh, walked in here last night and saw the lights and the stage, and this is just part of the stage. I tell you guys, it's gonna be the best Christmas Eve services ever, and there's gonna be a whole village up here before we get done, and, and all the, the uh, lights and stuff, and I just, I get very emotional. I'm very excited. And I love Christmas because one of the things I love about it is because it reminds us every year, and, and at least once a year, the entire world is reminded that God loves them, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son. He sent his son for us. And I know we get distracted with all sorts of other things in Christmas, and the world tries to throw all sorts of other stupid things into the mix. But the truth is that God's spirit, God's presence is pressing on our world. At least every Christmas, people are reminded of the love of God, and that's powerful. I also love Christmas because of the story. Not only the God's story that he sent his son, but the stories of people, the stories of, of, of humans, people like humble servant Mary, who was this teenage girl who God came and said, you're gonna be the mother of the Messiah. And she had faith and she said, yes, Lord, being unto me is according to your will, whatever you want, I'm in. Guys like the shepherds who show up at the, at the manger, at this, this, this barn, basically, and they're there worshiping the Savior and the stories of others that we're gonna take a look at. One guy today, a guy named Joseph, who uh, one of the unsung heroes of this story, but I love his story. Some of us have read the Christmas story so often, we've heard it so often, that we miss some of the beauty in, in, in the, the, the unsung heroes, the guys that we may not know quite as much about, but their lives impress me with their, their faith and their trust in God. Next week, we're gonna take a look at Simeon, and he's in Luke chapter two, and, and it's, oh, God's in the temple who'd waited for this promise of the Messiah, and he showed up, and he's there, and God, by the Holy Spirit, drove him to the temple, and he sees Jesus, and he gets it, and he knows this is the Messiah, this is the one. I love the stories of people in the Bible because they encourage us, and I especially love the story of Joseph. If uh, you've read the story, if you've heard the story, you know that Joseph doesn't play what we would call a major role. In fact, he's never quoted in the New Testament at all. Uh, we don't know a lot about him. We know he was a carpenter. We know he's from Nazareth. Uh, we know that he's, you know, becomes the, that was the fiance and became the husband of Mary and the surrogate father of Jesus. But not a lot is known about him. But what I want you to leave with today is sometimes we look at these guys and we go, well, you know, I guess that's he's an important part. He's an incredibly important part of the story. And one of the things I love about Joseph is if you've ever felt kind of common and and not that important and not that big a deal, if you've ever felt like just an average Joe then I want you to listen today and be encouraged by Joseph's story. If you've got your Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter one, Matthew the first chapter, and I'm gonna read a little bit of what happened here in Joseph's part of it. Verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, and that's a nice way of saying before they had sex, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to understand, we've read this, we've heard it, we look at hindsight back at the story, and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. When people heard this for the first time, they would have been, what? She, she, what happened? I mean, it's complete, there's no context for this. No, no like, this, this, you know, like this isn't common. You get that, right? She was with child through the Holy Spirit. Okay, whatever. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. It's an amazing story about an amazing man. And Joseph is a great challenge and encouragement to us, a great example to us of what it means to trust God no matter what the cost, no matter what. What makes this guy so special? Well, I want to consider a few things with you today. And here's the first one. Number one, Joseph's special because he was a righteous man. Now, he wasn't the only righteous man back then or in history. But it's important to note that he was a good guy, a righteous man. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And what's important for us to understand here is that in a time where many had nothing but a form of religion that was empty and devoid of any true relationship with God, Joseph loved God, and Joseph had relationship with God, and that made Joseph a righteous man. Now, this doesn't mean that he was perfect or without sin. It simply means that his love for God and his relationship with God was important to him. And by the way, that's how we become righteous. It's our love for him and our relationship with him. It's not doing all the right things or accomplishing some sort of task list, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost task list. It's about relationship with God. So he wasn't perfect, but he loved the Lord and he had a relationship with God. Now, Matthew wrote his gospel basically for a Jewish audience. And when it says that Joseph was a righteous man, they would have understood, the Jews would have known that that meant that he was faithful to obey and to follow the precepts of the Torah, the commandments of the Torah, the law of Moses. And this statement's important for us to understand because it reveals that Joseph was a good man of good character and that he was a faithful follower of Jehovah. And because of that, he had a good reputation. Right up until this point in his life, he had a really good reputation in town. People respected him. He was respected among his peers because he lived a God-honoring life, which takes me to the first lesson. Never underestimate the value of living a God-honoring life. Never underestimate the value of living in a God-honoring way. I've got a good friend who lives in Vancouver, Vancouver, Washington. His name is Steve, and I've known him for a very long time. When you get to be my age, you have some old friends. And honestly, most people would not think there's anything that extraordinary about Steve. He's been very successful in his job and his business but he's never been written up in a magazine or newspaper. He's never going to be on the cover of anything. He doesn't have thousands of Facebook friends. In fact, I don't think he has Facebook. I don't even think he's on Facebook. Uh, he doesn't ooze with charisma and charm. He's not one of those guys. He's just an average Joe, or in his case, an average Steve. And he's a, he's a good man, but there's nothing terribly, you know, exciting about his life or about him. But I'm here to tell you, Steve is an unsung hero of faith in my book and in the book of a lot of other guys like me. He's an unsung hero of the faith. Steve is a good and righteous man who lives and has lived a God-honoring life for decades. Now, he's far outside of the spotlight. Again, hardly anybody in Vancouver where he lives probably knows Steve, and he's never going to be world famous. But Steve has served Jesus and his kingdom for decades, faithfully living a God-honoring life. And that matters, and that's important to God. Some of you are like my friend Steve. Or maybe related back to the story, you're like Joseph. You look at your life, especially in comparison to others, and you think, eh, you know, there's nothing really that special about me. 
I don't matter much. It's my life's just kind of plain and no big deal. And my encouragement to you today is simple, but I want you to hear it. Never underestimate what God can do through you. Never underestimate what God can do through a person, a man or a woman who lives a God-honoring life. Even the most ordinary life is extraordinary if it's a life lived in honor of God. In fact, God loves average Joes and plain Janes. He really does. And he delights in using them for his glory. And he delights when we live lives, even quiet lives of honor toward him and for him. I was thinking yesterday about how many of you, and I just, your faces just flooded through my mind, who faithfully have served here, some of you, for a long time. Uh, this first Sunday in January is our 10th anniversary. And some of you have been faithfully serving God and serving this church for 10 years. Uh, Carl and Jackie always sit right there in the first service. Uh, they were here this morning, and they're an older couple, uh, and they have been, they've held hundreds of babies in our nursery and have just faithfully served God. Lynn, who was at the first service, and she wanted to crawl under a chair when I mentioned her name. But Lynn, uh, she, she's, she's cleaned the toilets here hundreds of times. Leslie cleans them again right now. Just these people, you wouldn't know them. If I, you know, I mentioned these names, you go, oh, I think I know it. Do I know a Leslie? I think so. They serve so faithfully. They do so much. People behind the scenes, Deb Stoker over here, and she's going to crawl under the chair. But Deb's just been so faithful and, and has served Brian and that team and our marriage mentoring people so often, done so much. I mean, I could go around the room and name hundreds of you who have lived God-honoring lives. And what's tragic is some of you thought it's no big deal, I'm nothing special. It's just whatever. It's like, and because you compare yourself to people like me on the platform, you think, well, I can't sing. I can't preach. I'm not that big a deal. Listen to me. You are a huge deal to God. You are massively important to him. You've lived God-honoring lives. You've quietly served him. And someday, you're going to rule heaven. I'm convinced that the more toilets you clean here, the more you're going to rule in heaven. <laughs> Jesus, the first shall be last, the last first. The greatest among us is the servant of all. I didn't make that up. Live a God-honoring life. That's what Joseph did. And it's the first lesson. Here's the second thing. Number two. I love this about this guy. Joseph was otherly focused. Otherly focused. Not only was he a good and a righteous man, but he was also tender-hearted and cared more about others than he cared about himself. How do I know that? Because of the way he treated Mary. Verse 19. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He thought about her more than he thought about himself. Imagine living in a small country town called Nazareth. Uh, and it was a small country hick town. It really was. And you've, you've got a girlfriend or a fiance and she gets pregnant. Everybody's going to know what's gone on. Everybody's going to believe you know, that, that you knocked her up. They're not going to believe any crazy story about immaculate conception. What? Immaculate what? You've got to be kidding me. Not going to believe that. And they're all going to know and they're all going to be aware of what's going, going on. How many of you grew up in a small town? Let me see your hands. Man, lots of us. My, part of my life, I grew up in Hibbing, Minnesota. And that's way up in the Iron Range in northern Minnesota, about 100 miles south of the Canadian border, International Falls, about 70 miles or so west of Duluth, which means it's out in the middle of nowhere. And there's nothing. And it's a small town, one high school. And just about anybody, you know, in that town knew everybody else, and especially when people got in trouble. And it was really hard to get away with anything because somebody would rat you out. Sure enough, you, you know, your mom's going to hear about it because she talked to so-and-so's mom, we talked to so-and-so's mom, we talked to so-and-so's It's just that kind of town. And when kids, you know, messed up or when a girl got pregnant, I believe me, everybody knew. That's the environment that Joseph's in. He's there. 
when I was a, a junior high, I was delivering newspapers on my snowmobile. And uh, everybody has snowmobiles in Minnesota, especially northern Minnesota. I had a skidoo lawn, a small, pathetic little thing in some ways compared to the, the big boys and the, you know, but anyhow, I, I delivered newspapers. And I'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'd go on my, on my uh, snowmobile to deliver papers. And back then, uh, I changed some of the weather, you know, global weirding or whatever. But back then, they had, uh, six months out of the year, we'd have snow on the ground and packed snow and ice on the roads. And kids, 12, 13, I don't remember how old you had to be, but you could get a permit to actually ride your snowmobile on the streets with the cars, just like a vehicle. And so I've got my permit, I've got my snowmobile, I'm delivering papers, and I'm up one morning at typical, you know, horrible North Minnesota day, just blizzard. I mean, you couldn't see anything. Couldn't literally see two feet in front of you. Just a white out, ugly condition. It's dark, snow's coming down. I got my snowmobile, I got my light on, but I can't see anything. And being the real idiot kid that I was, I should be going slow or not even on that thing, but I'm buzzing along. And I, they, didn't have, they didn't make us wear helmets back then. You know, that's, that's before they cared about us. And <laughs> now, you know, little kids on tricycles, you know, they give them helmets. But I, I, and I've got my goggles, and I'm flying along, and I'm ripping newspapers wherever I can, probably not even more close to where they need to be. And all of a sudden, I hit something hard, and I, all I remember is flying through the air. Now, it turned out what I hit was Brown's Buick, this Mr. Brown's old Buick. <laughs> had those, I think it was big, those big cones on the back of the, any a big old beast, didn't do a thing to his car, but broke my windshield. I go flying over the top, land on my back on top of his car. And the first thought was, dear Jesus, I hope nobody sees me. <laughs> sure enough, by noon, everybody in town, hey, did you hear about boom hitting old Brown's Buick? It was everywhere. And the more they told the story, the better or worse it got. That's the kind of town that Joseph grew up in. And it put yourself, I want you to use your God-given imagination. It's okay. And put yourself in his shoes. You're engaged to a young woman. You love her. And she comes to you. She says, uh, Joe, I'm not really sure how to explain this, but I'm pregnant. And it's the Holy Spirit's fault. Really? What are you going to say? Imagine how embarrassed Joseph must have been. What? Come on, Mary, this doesn't happen. You, nobody, this, what do you mean? Everybody knows virgins can't get pregnant. You can't tell me you're a virgin still, and, and I got to get ahead of this, and I got to, before my re- reputation is ruined, I imagine his partner was embarrassed. And I also, there's this huge betrayal and this confusion that he had. Your girlfriend comes and says, I'm pregnant, and you know you're not the guy. How are you going to feel? First confused, then probably hurt, then mad. Go through all those stages of emotion, frustration, betrayal, you're hurt. I mean, nobody ever heard of such a thing before. And by the way, in that culture, women were not treated uh, with, credi- with respect and didn't have a lot of credibility. Uh, one of the things I love about Jesus, side note, is that Jesus treated women better than anybody, better than any rabbi. He, he was famous for the way he treated women. Because in that culture, women were just right up above or below, you know, the family donkey. They were not treated very well, not considered. They, they couldn't even testify in court. They were considered so, you know, untrustworthy. And just the smart thing for Joe would have been to just publicly, you know, disavow her and to blame her and to get as far from her as he could. The smart thing, the wise thing to do would be to throw her under the bus or in that case under the camel, I guess. But to, get, to, to, not, to not protect her at all. But Joseph didn't do that. He was otherly focused, and he cared about Mary. 
Remember, too, he was a strict adherent to the law of Moses. He didn't mess around. And the Torah was at very clear guidelines about what to do with anybody in Mary's condition. Deuteronomy chapter 22. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, and she sleeps with her, excuse me, he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. And this is back when getting stoned was really bad. It's still bad, but really getting bad that way. And so they said, this is the penalty. We're going to kill you. That you, you come to a town and you sleep with a virgin and you're not, and if she's engaged to someone else, then both of you are going to get stoned to death. And that day, this is a big deal, more so even than our day, because this, this act of betrothal engagement was a legal act. In fact, the reason why it says Joseph considered divorcing her is because it took a legal act of divorce to separate from someone once you were betrothed to them. Engagements were so binding in that culture that if a woman's fiancé died, she was considered a widow. So that's a big deal. And certainly there's a part of Joseph that wanted to see her get what she deserved. I'm sure he wrestled with this. But whenever that idea came to mind, he pushed it aside in favor of a quiet divorce that would at least reduce her public disgrace. Joseph cared. He was otherly focused. So what else can we learn from this guy? Well, here's the second lesson, the second bullet. When you find yourself hurt, confused, or even angry, instead of revenge, pursue peace. When you find yourself hurt, confused, angry, wounded, in a really bad place because something bad has happened to you, instead of seeking revenge to get even, instead of demanding your rights, the Bible calls us to pursue peace in the middle of something you don't understand. And we're there all the time. I know. I've talked to lots of you. You're, some of you are in a situation right now where it's just not fair. It's just not fair. I remember telling my kids when they're growing up, and here kids are, it's not fair, Dad, it's not fair. And I always kind of smile and say, well, you're right, it's not. Get used to it. Because life's not fair. But when you find yourself in a situation when you're not at fault, the Bible says don't return evil for evil, but instead bless those who've cursed and hurt you. That's the way we're called to live, just like Joseph. The very fact that Joseph didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace is a strong indication that he deeply cared for her, so much so that he put her welfare before his. He put her welfare before his right for revenge. Joseph pursued peace. In fact, he really ended up blessing her. He's an example of what Peter would write years later in 1 Peter 3, 9. Where Peter said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter says, here's the deal. As Christ followers, let's not make it an eye for an eye. Let's not return evil for evil. And that's our human nature. When somebody says something bad about us, we want to just dump on them. When they hurt us, we want to hurt them 10 times worse than they've hurt us. It's our human nature. But Peter says, instead of returning evil for evil, instead return blessing. Because that's what we're called to. In fact, he says, and that's when you'll inherit a blessing from God. We put our hands in God's, our, our, our care, our lives in God's hands. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Paul wrote Romans 12 about this, and I love Romans 12. In fact, you want to hang out in the passage this week that will challenge you. If we just lived Romans 12 in our life, it would change everything. And the way we relate in our relationships would radically change them. But in Romans 12, 18, Paul said this, if, if, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as you can control the situation, and there's a lot that we can't control, as far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. Pursue peace. That's the call. When we don't understand, and lots of times we don't, when life doesn't seem fair and it doesn't make sense, we can demand our rights, we can demand revenge, we can crush the offender with our actions or with our words, or we can choose a higher road, choose a different path, choose the path of peace and blessing, and bless those who actually have cursed us. And here's the deal, in doing so, we're committing ourselves to God's care and protection. That's where we inherit that blessing that Peter talked about in 1 Peter 3. Let's live otherly focused. Not just about us, but caring and blessing others no matter what. Here's one last remarkable thing about Joseph. Number three, Joseph was obedient. I think obedience is highly underrated in the church today. Uh, we are a grace church. We talk a lot about grace. I believe grace. I preach grace. I, I embrace grace. I want you to. But sometimes we focus so much on the goodness and the grace of God that we forget that God has also called us to obey him. He's also called us to obedience. And one of the things I love about Joseph is that he was obedient. Verse 20 says, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid. Take, take Mary home as your wife. And in fact, I, she's going to give birth to a son and I want you to name that boy Jesus. Very clear. Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. And when the baby's born, name him Jesus. And verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He obeyed. In fact, so much so that it says that he gave, when the baby was born, he gave the baby the name Jesus. And the indication here is that Joseph acted Im immediately, that he acted in obedience as soon as possible. He didn't delay. He didn't debate the issue with God. He did what God told him to do. And it wasn't easy. The amazing thing about Joseph is even though it was tough, and it was, he ended up on this path uh, of faith, a path that he never would have chosen on his own. There was one day in Joseph's life where he woke up and said, I hope someday my fiance gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Not one day where he ever thought, boy, this would be cool if something really bizarre like that happened in my life. He didn't choose this path. That's not what he wanted. But Joseph trusted and obeyed God nonetheless. And he did exactly what the angel of the Lord told him. He took Mary as his wife, and he named the baby Jesus. And by the way, in that day, the very act of Joseph naming that child was a, a, a public way of saying that he was embracing Jesus as his son. Everybody else was, yeah, see, I told you, Joe, this Holy Spirit thing, whatever. I knew it was him all along. Because Joseph embraced Jesus. He was committing himself to that baby. The very act of naming a child was huge. And in doing so, he was saying, I'm, I am taking this, this baby as my son. And in doing so, he sacrificed his reputation and his honor among the community. There's no way his neighbors were ever going to believe that an angel came to some common couple in a common village and caused the uncommon virgin birth of the Messiah. No way they were going to believe that. And so he and Mary lived with the whispers and the looks for a long time. And what I want you to see is, I, I, make no mistake about it, guys, Joe's obedience cost him. It cost him. But Joseph obeyed nonetheless. So here's the third lesson, the final bullet. Sometimes it's tough to trust and obey God. It is. Especially when we don't understand. But faith and obedience is the pathway to wonder. Sometimes it's really hard to say yes to God. Sometimes it's hard to follow him, to obey him. But faith and obedience is the path to that adventure, that life, abundant life that he's promised for us. Obedience is often hard. 
I am not going to sit here and tell you it's easy to obey God. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I'm here to tell you, more often than not, it's hard to obey God. It's inconvenient, and at times it seems crazy, but God expects us to obey him no matter what the cost. That's the call. That's the challenge. And that's why I love this guy named Joe. In the midst of something that made no sense to him, he wasn't his fault, never happened before. An angel Lord shows up in a dream and says, it's going to be okay, do this, and Joseph woke up and did it. He obeyed. He did exactly what the Lord called him to do. A guy came to me uh, some time ago, and he said, I, I need your counsel, I need your advice. Uh, he said, I, I've got an opportunity, uh, my job, a promotion. Uh, it's awesome, it's a great, great job. It's going to give me a lot more money. The only downside is I've got to travel about 20 weeks a year. And he's got a wife and a couple of kids at home. And he said, I'm not really sure what to do. What do you think? And I said, dude, I don't know. You know, people come to me like i am some, got some pastoral magic ball or something, you know. As I, I, you know, if the Bible says don't commit adultery, I can, don't commit adultery. Bible says don't lie, don't lie. Bible says love your neighbor, I can say love your neighbor. But there's some things where it's like, I, I don't know. So I said, here's what I do know. Go to the one who knows and pray. Ask God to give you direction, and he will. About a week later, he comes back to me and says, well, I got, I got some direction from God. Good. What did the Lord say? Well, the Lord said no. He said it wasn't easy, because I, in saying no, I'm passing up a great job, lots more money, and basically what I'm saying to my boss and to the company I work for is, I'm done here. Because they're never going to consider me for promotion again. If I say no to this, it's saying no to my career at this particular place. He said, it's going to cost me. And I smiled and I said, yeah, but. He said, well, but I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm going to obey God. And I smiled because I know how many times in my own life, and I've seen it in many of yours, where when we say yes to God, it costs us to obey him. Where do we get the crazy idea that it's going to be easy? Yes, we have God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. We have the community of faith to support us and stand with us. But it is a narrow path. Jesus called us to take up our cross daily and to follow him. Obedience is easy when it fits into our plans and our agenda. Huh? It's, occasionally it's like, oh yeah, that's okay. It's easy when it fits into what we want. But when it's in direct conflict with our agenda, with what we want, well, that can be pretty tough. And so let me say it again. Let me be clear. Obedience is often difficult and it will frequently cost us. But it's the path that God calls us to, and it's the path to wonder. Let me get personal. Bring us home for a few of you. You know, we've talked about uh, water baptism. This morning, Pastor Matt mentioned it. And encourage you, if you haven't been baptized in water, immersed in, in water, to consider doing so in a couple of weeks. Classes next week during this second service. And two weeks from today, we'll bring a tank in. We heat it up, that's the good news. And uh, in front of all your family and friends and your community of faith, you can get baptized in water. And I know, I've talked to some of you. Some of you have been honest with me. Well, I just, I, I'm, I'm just not ready to do that. And I, I pry a little bit. Why? Well, I just, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. I, I, can I do it at home in my bathtub? Well, yeah. But the idea is it's a public declaration of faith. It's your coming out part. It's your saying to everybody. You know, when we ask you to make a decision, and two, three, four, five people every week make a decision to follow Christ, they give them their lives to Jesus. We don't single you out and say, oh, there you are, I see you. You with the red hat and the green shirt. Ah, you just gave your life to Jesus. We don't do that. But we expect you at the point when we offer you to make this public declaration to get baptized. The Bible says repent and be baptized, every one of you. And it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's what God expects from us. Some of you say, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Some of you say, well, I, I, I don't want to look like a wet rat. You, you know, what if I come out and I got boogies coming out of my nose? And, 
And you get all nervous and worried about, you know, things. And you think, you think, or some of you say, well, my mom and dad, they baptized me as an infant, and that was good enough for me. And you know what? Your folks did that in honor of God, and I honor that. But the, as an adult, as a Christ follower, the Bible says repent and be baptized. That is a choice you make. And the bi- biblical pattern, I'm not going to get into the sprinkling thing and the infant thing. The biblical pattern is immersion in water. That's what they did. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do. And some of you wrestling, like, ah, yeah. obedience isn't always easy. But I promise you, you'll never regret that. Talk to people who have been baptized, who've obeyed the Lord, and they'll tell you it was awesome. And what an incredible experience for us to, to celebrate with you. What a gift to your family and to your friends. A great Christmas gift to invite them here to watch you in this Christmas season get baptized in water. Obedience is hard, but it's the pathway to wonder and experience with God. Some of you, we've talked about the Christmas meal project and giving. And I talked to somebody a couple weeks ago, and said, well, I felt like the Lord told me what to give, but I don't want to give it. <laughs> I smiled, and I know it's hard sometimes to obey Jesus. But giving sometimes, sacrificial giving is hard. But let me touch on one other thing that's really going to stir some things up, because, you know, one of the hardest things for us to give is forgiveness. One of the hardest things for us to obey is to forgive. The Bible says, forgive as you have been forgiven. And again, it's not a suggestion. It's not if you feel like it, if it works for you, if they come and ask for forgiveness, if everything gets you know, the way it should be and you feel good about it, then forgive them. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Say, so, well, I don't feel like forgiving. Well, it's a choice you make. It is a choice of obedience to say, God, I'm going to do this for the right reason. I'm going to release them from my judgment. And some of you have been carrying bitterness in your heart for a long time. Unforgiveness. You've been deeply, deeply wounded. And I get that, and I don't belittle that at all. I ache for you. But the Bible says forgive as you've been forgiven, and that's an act of obedience. And it's hard. It's not easy. I could go on, but I'll make this point. When Jesus calls us to something, when he invites us to something, when he challenges us to do something, when he speaks to us, we need to obey. We need to follow him and do what he wants us to do because, let me say it again, that's the pathway to experiencing the abundant life that he promised to us. Here's an awesome truth, one that is demonstrated over and over again in the word of God. Obedience is the pathway to adventure, to wonder, to the life God wants for you. From Abraham in Genesis to John the Beloved in the book of Revelation, and thousands of stories in between. Men and women who experienced the wonder of God's life, the presence of God, the power of God, the life, the adventure of God in the kingdom. They are people who have said yes to him. Sometimes we follow God, and it is hard, and we pay a great price, just like Joseph did. But what an amazing result Joseph experienced. Think about again. Joseph, he said yes to God. And he got to experience things that no other man on planet Earth has ever or ever will experience again. He got to be there at the birth of the Savior of the world. And then these shepherds show up, and they worship, and they tell the story about angels. What was that like for Joseph to be an observer watching this whole thing going, wow. Then on the eighth day, they take Jesus to to, to a... He's circumcised him. Then they take him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And Anna and Simeon show up, and they prophesy over him. And they go, Wow. Imagine being the the father, the surrogate father of Jesus. You know, we forget he was a baby, a real human, live, living baby. Jesus pooped in his diapers. Jesus learned to walk. He he wasn't born walking. You get that, right? And and imagine what it would have been like for Joseph to watch Jesus 
take his first steps. Imagine what it was like when they went to Jerusalem and Jesus is 12 years old and they, he gets, gets forgotten. <laughs> Ever lost a kid in the Walmart? He gets forgotten. And a few days later they go back when they find him with these, these holy men, these, these, these men, and Jesus is astounding them. Imagine being the father of, of, of Jesus, teaching him how to use, Joseph was a carpenter and fathers would teach their sons this trade, teaching him how to use his first hammer. No, Joe, you know, and no, no, Jesus, hold it this way and hold it like this and pound this way. And imagine the life that Joseph got to experience in his relationship with the Savior of the world. Joseph's yes led him to wonders that no man has ever experienced before. Because Joseph obeyed. Because he obeyed, he lived a life of wonder and joy. And so here's my heart for you, and listen carefully to me. I don't want to sound harsh or mean, and I'm no one, I'm not thinking of anyone you're thinking right now, he's looking at me, no, I'm not. But guys, let me just say it gently but clearly. Some of you have, are living boring Christian lives, pathetic Christian lives, because you've stopped saying yes to God. Because you're not living that adventure. You're not living out there on the edge with him. You're just kind of going through the motions. You're blah, blah, blah. You're just kind of experiencing the normal, and you're not experiencing the extraordinary because you've stopped saying yes to him, because you've stopped taking risk. And I want to challenge you this morning. When God gives you direction to go, go. When he tells you something to do, do. Obey. And it won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. I promise you, it will not always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Every great thing that I've experienced in my life, and I have had the pleasure and amazing joy of experiencing some awesome things. Every great adventure that I've ever lived on is not because I'm good or smart. I'm not that good or that smart. It's not because I've had money or because of who I've known. It's certainly not because I'm a pastor. The great things that I've experienced in my life, and one of them, guys, is this church, being a part of a place called the East Point. It's happened because I said yes to God. Over 10 years ago now, I was on staff at Life Center, loved my job, loved working there. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was pastor a church in the valley, never thought about it. Was, I was good, loving what God was doing where I was at. And when God did one of these, he said, I want you to plant a church in the Spokane Valley. And it wasn't easy. I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. And it hasn't always been easy in the last 10 years. But I have lived an adventure, and I am thrilled, and I have been so blessed because I've said more yeses to God than I've said noes. Some of you need to start saying yes to God again. And Joseph models for us a lifestyle that is good for us to follow. He honored God. He lived in a God-honoring way. He lived a lifestyle of being otherly focused. He cared about people and a lifestyle of faith and obedience. And Joe's relationship with God and his relationship with Mary affected everything. And I want your relationship with God your relationship with the people that he's put you in contact with to change you and to change them. And so the next time you talk to a Joe, and we've got quite a few in our church, or the next time you look at a nativity scene and see the little Joseph figurine, at least for the next couple of weeks, I hope you remember this. Joseph is an unsung hero of the New Testament because of who he was, because of what he did, and, and most of all, because he said yes to God. Barry heads, let me pray for you. Father, I love the simple stories of the word whereby a guy like Joseph, we are challenged to live lives that are, are 
compassionate, lives that are focused on you, lives that are making a difference in the world we live in. Lord, I, I'm so grateful that through simple stories like the story of Joseph, that we're reminded to live a God-honoring life, to be otherly focused, and most of all, we're reminded to obey you, to take the risk, to say yes. Joseph took this huge risk, and it changed his life. And for thousands of years, he's been spoken of and remembered, and in part of the most incredible story ever, ever, because Joe said yes to you. Help us to be more like that, Lord. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not even started your walk as a Christ follower. And I'm going to give you a chance today to say your very first yes to God. And that's how our relationship begins with him. We say, yes, God, I need a Savior. Yes, I have sin. Yes, I need your grace. Yes, I want to be forgiven. And it's the first yes of many, but it's the most important yes you will ever make in your life because it's that yes that introduces you to relationship with God and brings you into the family of God and makes you a child of God. And if you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower, but you know in your gut it's time. It's time for you to say yes to God. Would you just make this prayer yours? I'm going to pray a simple prayer, but you can own it. You can make these words yours. Just say yes in your heart to God as I pray this. God, forgive me. For I I need you. I've sinned against you. And I need a Savior. And today I say yes to you. Yes to your grace. Yes to your forgiveness. Yes, I surrender my life. Yes, I embrace your grace. Yes, I thank you for forgiving me and dying for me on that cross. Yes, I believe you're alive. And yes, I want to follow you all the days of my life. And so today, God is my first yes to you. Now, if that's you and that's what you want, your own way, just say, yeah. Yeah, God, that's me. Yes. And the Bible says the instant you say yes to him in your heart, you cross into relationship, into his kingdom, into relationship with him. That's where it starts. It's the beginning, but that's where it starts. And, Lord, I pray for those that are making that decision right now, that you would show them how much you love them, how great you are, and the, what you're beginning in them right now because of this first yes they've given to you. Lord, some of us have been saying no to you about things that you've called us to do. No about other things that are hard. And I pray today that we would say yes to you, that we would surrender again, that we would yield to you and really yield to your lordship in our life and say, yes, God, I will obey. I will trust you. Help us to be more like you, more like Joseph. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with a song of worship. It's a great song. In fact, today, this may be the first time for some of you that you can sing this song with truth about your beginning of your relationship with him. We're going to give. We, uh, we're going to worship the Lord and give. If you've got the communication card, you can drop it in the offer bag right now. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up.